If you have your Bible, maybe you would turn with me right now to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, right there. I'm going to read to you in a moment from chapter 2, uh, verses 11 to 21. But uh, let me just give you some introduction. Uh, my name's Joel, and uh, I have the privilege of working uh, as part of the New Day team through the year. And what I'm going to be doing over these next four mornings is looking with you guys at one of the most explosive, world-changing letters that was ever written. It was written by a man called Paul, the Apostle Paul. He helped to start Christianity off in the first place. The way he started Christianity, or helped to, you should say, is he really started churches and he started churches that started other churches. And then those churches started other churches and it all kind of multiplied out like, like mushrooms really. And it's, it's kind of worked ever since. It's the, the best way for the world to be uh, brought into contact with Jesus is through churches being started. And those churches starting other churches. And Paul did that very successfully. But there's one challenge that you face when you've started a church and you have to move on to start another one. And that is keeping an eye on what gets taught in the one you started before. Uh, and Paul would go from place to place, starting new churches. And occasionally he'd find out that the people in the church that he'd started a few years back had believed some new teaching. They'd taken on some new ideas that were in conflict with the message that Paul had originally brought them. And this is the main reason why we have letters in the New Testament, because what we've got is Paul responding to the kind of false teaching that creeps into churches if you leave churches alone, if you leave churches in the sun for too long, you know, if they just kind of go moldy. It's a bit like that. If you leave a church without really watching what gets taught there, it will gradually get into false teaching. And so it's worth keeping an eye on it, watching it closely, and making sure that the right teaching prevails. Paul writes this letter to the churches in an area called Galatia. Uh, we would call it southern Turkey. Because they've taken on some teaching which is supposed to be a kind of improvement on the gospel. Some people had come along to Galatia and said, well, we kind of like what Paul preaches, but we think we can improve on it. We think the gospel that Paul gave you is good, but it's not good enough. We would like to add to it. Now, for Paul, that is a bit like if someone walked into the Louvre Museum in Paris with a paintbrush and walked up to the Mona Lisa and said, I just need to improve this. Because as far as Paul is concerned, the message that he proclaimed to the people in Galatia was the message. It was the right message. It was not worth changing because it was perfect. And so anyone coming along saying, I think I can make this better, is actually just going to make it worse. You try and add a bit of perfect kind of extra improvement to the Mona Lisa, you're just going to ruin it. And so Paul has to write this letter. It's a fairly tight, strong letter. He gets a bit harsh here and there because he's so concerned that they don't miss the point. And so that's what this letter is about. And what we're going to look at over these next four mornings is how 
it sets us free. It brings genuine liberty and safety to the liberty that we can have and should have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll learn as we go the difference that it can make to our lives, which is actually enormous. Okay, so let me just read to you from uh, Galatians 2, and we'll read from verse 11 to 21. It says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, just pause there for a moment, Cephas is the name that Paul gives to Peter. He would have had a different name in different languages. He uses the word Cephas, but you've heard of Peter probably. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then the servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Can we just pray quickly before we get into this? Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who takes what belongs to him and makes it known to us, who leads us into truth, who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be sent now to take these words of Scripture and apply them to our hearts and minds in such a way as to bring life change, fruitfulness, trust in you. And we ask this according to your mercy and in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you Google the word uh, jubilee, you'll probably get uh, loads of images of uh, people sitting down to eat dinner, uh, sitting down in the streets. Uh, If you go on Google Images, don't do that now, but but trust me, that's what you'll see. You'll see a few of those. You'll see other things as well. But one of the reasons for that, or the main reason why you see those images, 
is because of times in history in the UK where we've celebrated our queen or some kind of royal moment has passed and the way we've celebrated it has been to sit down in public and eat a meal. So there'd be pictures in there of decking, of bunting and tables and chairs with food laid out and families and neighborhoods all sitting around together and eating. It looks a little bit like a big Christmas family. So you know at Christmas, generally most of you would have the same experience. You'll get together and a big part of what you do would be to sit down and eat together because eating together is one of the main ways that we express our togetherness. People who sit down to eat together are saying, I belong with you. We, we're joined together. We sit down and we eat. Now that's been the case since ancient times. It's still kind of true today. In, in the time that Paul's writing, it's definitely that way. The people you eat with, they are those, those people with whom you're tight. They're your, your people. They're the people you're doing life with most closely. You belong with them. You identify with them. They're one with you, in a sense. Now, what we're picking up with in this part of this letter, this story, which is so, so crucial, is that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, has gone back on a very clear commitment that he made earlier in his life. You can see that Paul is saying, Peter was really happy as a Jew eating with non-Jews for a long time. He was, he was cool with that. He was fine with that. But, but then a time came when he kind of hid away again and just started to eat with Jews only. It happened in the church in the city of Antioch. And this is the thing that Paul is picking Peter up on. Now go with me on this because this is, sounds ancient and strange, but it's massively important. Peter should not have had a problem really by this time in eating with non-Jewish people. Because by this time he had met Jesus. And Jesus seemed to make a point throughout his ministry, his public life, of eating dinner with people that others disapproved of him eating with. Jesus got a reputation for sitting down and eating with sinners. With, with people who others would have kind of turned their noses up at and looked down on with disdain because, well, these people aren't really God's people. We shouldn't really eat with people who aren't part of God's people. They're not really with us. But Jesus went out to them and sat down and ate with them, which caused problems. And Peter knew that. Peter had been trained by Jesus. He should have known that Jesus was happy to eat with anybody, really. And then later on... Peter had an extraordinary vision. He had a moment, where you can read about in Acts chapter 10, where this sheet was brought down from heaven in a dream that Peter had. He saw this, this sheet coming down from heaven. And in the sheet were, were filled up all these animals. Basically, you know, the cast from Zootropolis was kind of in this sheet. And the word came from heaven saying, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. So all these lovely, cuddly, furry, you know, beavers and otters and everything. Peter, get up, eat them. And, and Peter immediately feels, this is wrong, I shouldn't do that. The reason why, is not just because they're cute, it's because Peter was brought up Jewish and he knew the Torah, the old laws of the Old Testament, and he knew that there were certain foods, certain creatures, that it was out of bounds for God's people Israel to eat. 
They were considered unclean. You don't eat those things. Only Gentiles eat those food. And Gentiles are pigs. Gentiles are dogs. They are not part of God's people. We are God's people. Gentiles can eat those foods, those filthy foods for those filthy people. We're not filthy people. We're clean. We're God's people. We eat clean, good, kosher food. That's for us, and it's special. Peter would have been brought up believing that. He would have been taught that from a boy... He knew it like he, he knew his own. He just knew everything about that. It was, that was what he was raised in. And then he had this vision where God says to him, now I want you to take these foods. I want you to eat them. And it totally changed Peter's life. From that point on, Peter began to eat with Gentiles. He began to get involved with people who were completely different than him, who were not holy like he used to think he was who were completely different. He felt, no, I I can be at home with anybody. I can sit and eat with anybody. I I mean, people that love Jesus, even if they're Jewish, not Jewish, whatever they are, whether they eat kosher food or not kosher food, it doesn't matter. If they love Jesus, I can sit and eat with them. They're my family. He got so clear on that, he got through on it, it seemed. And to add to it, Peter has this moment, which Paul describes earlier on in Galatians, where they got together... And they made a plan. They agreed together, okay, let's make it really clear. From this point on, we will be, we as apostles, me, Paul, you, Peter, we will agree, yeah, right, right, everyone agreeing, we will agree that it's okay for Gentiles to eat Gentile food and to still believe in Jesus and be part of God's people. In fact, it's even okay for Jews to eat Gentile food if they want to. It's okay. Because in the end, the thing that matters is not what we eat, as Jesus told us. It's not what goes into someone's mouth, but what comes out that makes them holy or unholy. In the end, these things don't matter as much as we thought they did. We are free from the restrictions of that old law. They agreed on it, and it looked all clear and nice. But then something happened that changed everything. Now, sometimes sometimes you'll see... Young kids being taught how to play football. Some of you, you've been involved in uh, football teams in the park or school teams or whatever. And what will sometimes happen is the coach will gather the people together and he'll say, right, okay, guys, listen, we're not just going to all chase the ball, okay? When I blow the whistle, I don't want you all to chase the ball. I want you to pass. I want you to stay in your positions, And I want you to pass to each other. And I want you to move forward as a team. I don't want you to all chase the ball. I want you to pass the ball. And everyone while the coach is talking is looking at the coach going, yeah, 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 we agree. And they're so excited. They get the idea. They are so in this idea that this coach has just shared with them. They're thrilled with the idea. But you know as well as I do, as soon as that coach blows that whistle, what's going to happen? They're going to be like bees after honey. They're going to chase that ball. Every single one of them will forget what they agreed on. Why? Because the whistle blew. Because it got real. Suddenly, reality kicked in and they forgot what they had already agreed to in the coaching time before. When the pressure comes on, we sometimes forget what we all agreed to before. Peter, right here, the pressure comes on him. It's worth looking together at what kind of pressure came on him so we understand. It says really in verse 12, there's a little clue here. 
Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, I don't know about you, I think I would be frightened of anything called the circumcision party. Okay, well, it's not really typical for those words to be put together, is it? Circumcision and party, two words that don't generally belong in my mind. Together, they don't identify. And my advice to you is if any of you ever get invited to a circumcision party, you tick the bit on the RSVP that says, I will not be coming, okay? And, and I don't think it means that kind of a party, nor does it mean a political party, okay? We don't have that. Uh, happening, we don't have candidates uh, standing for parliament in recent elections for the Green Party, the Liberal Democrat Party, the Conservative Party, the Labour Party, and the Circumcision Party. As far as I know, there wasn't one. So what we're talking about here is a little bit peculiar. The Circumcision Party, I don't know if they had it on the back of their jackets or whatever, what, what they were was a group of people who were insisting that to be part of God's people, you had to be circumcised if you're a guy. All the men who wanted to be part of God. If you wanted to know God, if you wanted to know the God of Israel, if you wanted to know the God of the Jews, you had to become Jewish, baby. You, you are definitely, definitely going to get cut. So don't try and avoid this. It's going to happen. If you really want to know him, you've got to go the whole way. That was their message. And Paul is spending this whole letter saying, that is not my message and that is actually not God's message. And so most of you will be breathing a sigh of relief at this point. This, this is a hugely important thing for Paul. He said, look, these guys belong to the circumcision party. They have a different message all together. Now, it wasn't just circumcision that they held to. I've already mentioned the food laws. There's also the way that they observe the Sabbath. That comes up in this letter as well. They're very, very, very strict about what you could or couldn't do on a Saturday. They were so strict on it. It was a way of saying, if you keep the Sabbath laws, and if you're a circumcised man, and if you eat the right food, you're in. You're in. If you don't do those things, you're just not in. If you don't have the badges of membership, you're not in with us. You're not part of God's people. So they were driving in this line of division to the churches. saying, Okay, Paul has started some bad churches here. Because they're made up of people who are in God's people and some who are not. And so they were dividing the churches into bits. And Paul was saying, no, no, no. The one thing that holds these people together is not anything like circumcision or foods or Sabbath observance. It's just Jesus. That's the thing that holds them together. It's just Jesus. And Peter, by, by yielding to these men from James, this circumcision party, you have lost so much ground for the gospel, which is why Paul has the audacity to confront Peter to his face. You may have seen in verse 14, it said, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, this is 
awkward. Because Peter is deeply trusted and respected. He was one of Jesus' twelve. He was top disciple. He's the rock. He's Peter. And, and Paul is taking him. He, Paul is giving a smackdown to the rock. The, the, the main disciple. And it's public. He says it in front of, he says, in, in front of them all. I, I spoke to, to, to Peter. I confronted him to his face. In front of everybody. Now that's, that's awkward anyway. To do, to do a rebuke of Peter would have been difficult and awkward anyway. To do it in front of everybody. Well, for Paul, I think it must have taken courage. It must have been difficult. And we might think to us, why would you do that? Why would you mess with the atmosphere at that point? Maybe it was a really lovely meeting. Maybe they were all having a really nice time worshipping, praying, teaching, and it was all good. And then Paul ruins it, ruins the atmosphere, just kills it by speaking to Peter in a confrontational way. To Peter, of all people. Why would Paul do this? It's the same reason that he would write this letter because sometimes freedom needs fighting for. Sometimes freedom needs defining. Sometimes to get real freedom, we need to hold on to it with all our strength or we will lose it. He uses a word in this verse, that, that, a Greek word, that he kind of makes up. We don't see it anywhere else. But it, 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 it has the meaning of keeping straight. Keeping straight. It's the word that we get the word orthodox from. In fact, it's the same word we get the word orthodontist from. Some of you, you wear a brace right now because your dentist has been cruel to you and put that on your face. And uh, you're, very, you're very brave and you're going through a season of your life where you're probably thinking, ah, I wish I didn't have to wear this thing, but I know it's good for me, I know it's right, and it will come off eventually and, and my teeth will, will feel the benefit. What does a brace do? It kind of tightens and straightens your teeth. It's not comfortable. It, it, it goes against your, your, your intuitive sense of what makes your mouth comfortable. A brace messes it up. Maybe you get a bit more comfortable with it after a while, but you still look forward to getting rid of it because really a brace is just something that it restricts and it feels uncomfortable. But the reason for it is not to restrict you. The reason for it is to free you. The reason for it is to keep you straight, keep you on the right path. Paul is coming to bring straightness to these churches. Paul is coming to bring actual freedom to these churches, freedom that is worth fighting for. Maybe some of you have seen the movie Dunkirk. It came out just last week. I took my son to see it on Friday, I think, or Thursday, and uh, it's a good film. I hope you do get to see it. It's a good, good film. But it's an excellent example of a real time in the history of this nation where real people like you and me in their hundreds of thousands were in terrible, terrible danger because they chose to fight for freedom. Because the freedoms that we have as a nation in this country were worth fighting for. They were worth dying for, worth risking life for. And, and just as people will fight as soldiers for national freedoms, it's right for believers, and I guess especially right for leaders in churches, but for all believers to keep their eye out so they're ready to fight for freedom for Christians. You need to fight for freedom in your Christian life. 
Jesus has come into your life if you're a Christian already. And if you're not, Jesus will come into your life to bring freedom this week, I hope. But if you are a Christian, you already know some of this, some of the freedom that Jesus has brought into your life. The reality is that for a lot of our Christian life, it doesn't always feel like freedom. A lot of our Christian life, we live with kind of 30% freedom, if that. We can live with 5% freedom. And imagine that we're enjoying Christianity as much as we ever could. I'm really enjoying Jesus, kind of, but you know, it's... It doesn't make me feel very free. Jesus has come actually to genuinely make you free. To genuinely liberate you. To set the captives free. That's why he came. That's why he came to you. To set you free. And when Christians live with kind of 5%, 10%, 30%, 40%, 5%, 10%, 30%, 40%, even 90% freedom, it means that there's still some freedom more to be gained, to be enjoyed from what Jesus has done for us. And to do that, we may need to fight for it. We may need to take ourselves seriously. We may need to deal with some threats to our freedom that will come. What's happened in this story is Peter... Though he is free in Christ, he's allowed his freedom to be checked and to be diminished, to be cut down. And I want to look before I finish at three of the reasons this has happened, three of the ways that Peter's freedom has been threatened and attacked. We'll just touch on them really quickly. The first of them is to do with how he sees what is sacred or not. It's to do with culture, all right? The first thing is to do with culture. And it's there in verse 15, just hinted at. We ourselves, Paul says to him, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. What's Paul saying? He's saying, Peter, I know your background. It's the same as mine. They're both Jewish. We tended to see ourselves when we were growing up as culturally above the other people. We, we felt our differences. We felt that they were sacred. We took certain sacred things very, very, very seriously as though they were almost the same thing as God himself. Our Jewish law, our temple, our foods, our priesthood, our clothing, the way we cut our hair, everything about, even the outward things, we took as seriously as we would take God And you know, generally speaking, that's what humans do. We tend to take outward trappings like what we wear, what we eat, uh, even the places that we go to worship in, and we take them just a little too seriously, more seriously than we realize that we should, more seriously than God wants us to. We get obsessive about outward cultural things as if the outward cultural things are sacred. But you need to understand one of the things that makes Jesus unique and extraordinary is that Jesus and what he came to bring into the world is genuinely a global faith. It will go anywhere, anywhere, any culture, any place, any language. Anything, you go anywhere in the world, there'll be people today who'll be worshipping Jesus with different styles, different instruments, different clothing on, different patterns in their service, 
just everything about it will be different than what we might expect. They'll be be worshipping the same person. They'll be worshipping Jesus. We wouldn't necessarily know their language. We would find a lot about their meeting completely different. But it wouldn't matter because they're worshipping Jesus. If you look into something like Islam or many other religions, you'll find it's not that way. I mean, for example, with Islam, if you want to read the holy book, if you really want to read it, you can't read it in English. If you want to read the Quran in English, it's not really proper Quran reading, really. You're supposed to read it in Arabic if you're going to read it in the, in the approved way. That's, that's how we, we do religion in, in Islam. Don't you know? That, that would be the, the kind of understanding that you might come across. And it's, it's, it's just one example. Generally, we tend to think of knowing God, spiritual things, too quickly in terms of kind of cultural things. So we, we make sacred cows. We make things in culture to be the sacred thing too easily. We don't, we don't realize, actually, no, this thing isn't God. This thing has become bigger than it should in my imagination. And it's not for a small reason that people would have been nervous about eating Gentile food. For some of these people, this was massively sacred. It was huge for them. They had stories in their family tree of people who had been tortured to death because they refused to eat Gentile food. It's literally true that when the Hasmoneans came into to Israel, there were people who were martyred because they would not eat the Gentile foods. They were heroes to them. They looked up to these inspiring martyrs and thought, far be it from us to, to betray our family tree. You know, what we can do is we can have something in our history, in our family, in our past, in our story that becomes kind of sacred to us and so sacred that we don't realize that it's actually robbing us of some of the freedom that Jesus has come to bring into our life. It can seem so special, so special in fact that we forget that nothing is more special than Jesus. And it it kind of gets to play higher than Jesus, which surely is wrong. But it's just one example of how this can come in, how these pressures can come in. It can come through sacred teaching that we, we think it's sacred because it's so powerful even if it's actually not lining up with the Bible see I've, I've heard people bring teaching supposedly spiritual Christian leaders bring teaching that I've realised when I've looked at my Bible it was wrong sometimes those people they bring it after having actually done a miracle and that will freak you out think, what? someone will do it will, will literally heal somebody from, from cancer. Think, goodness me, this person just healed someone from cancer. That means that he or she will never say anything wrong ever. This person is infallible. But you go back one chapter in Galatians, you get Paul saying to the church in Galatia, he actually says to them, listen, 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 he says in chapter 1, verse 8, even if I or an angel from heaven should preach a message, Contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. He, he, he's, he said, even if I teach something different, Paul is not saying in this letter, well, don't ever argue with me because I'm Paul. Okay, Paul, want to see the card? Paul. That's not his style. He's saying, no, 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 it's not about me. I could teach something wrong. Even if I teach you something different from the gospel we first proclaimed to you, you can tell me to go to hell. 
Even if an angel did. And that's, that's a weird verse when you think about it. It's in the Bible. You know, if an angel actually came in this tent, I've read this book, I know what happens when angels show up, we would wet our pants. We would all be on our faces. We would all be tempted to worship it. That's what happens in this book. When angels show up, people make the mistake of worshiping them. We would be terrified if a real angel just showed itself. Paul, he would be standing on the corner somewhere with his Bible open saying, let's just hear what this angel has to say. Because Paul has such complete confidence in the message of God's word, in the true gospel, that it even has power over our spooky, exciting, sacred feelings, our sense of, oh, this is really spiritual, or he's really spiritual, or she's really spiritual, he's a man of God, he's never wrong. No, 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 don't go for that. Certainly we should respect people who teach the Bible and people who have spiritual power to do things. We should, we should be inclined to listen, but never at the expense of the freedom that God's word has been sent to bring us into. Remember which has the final authority, God's word to us. So one of the things, like I say, is, is culture. The second thing is people. We've kind of seen that in, in verse 12 already, where it says that even, uh, well, because of men from James. Paul throws in that word James. He's kind of reminding us of James is a special man. James is actually the brother of Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of hard to not be intimidated by Jesus' brother. Some people have power over us, don't they? Some people are just intimidating to us. And it can be for very good reasons, like I guess with James. It can be for completely invalid reasons as well. It just, it just happens to be that you and me have a temptation to what the Bible calls fear of man. People can impress us way more than the gospel of Jesus Christ does. People can cause us to be fearful. We can lose our confidence in the freedom God's brought us into because of our desperate desire to be in with certain people. Now, for some of you, that means that you, you have people in your youth group who you, you feel, if I'm not as holy as they are, if I'm not seen to be as holy as they are, then God won't really love me. Alternatively, it may be people in outside, maybe someone in your school. I remember when I came to something like New Day at age 16, and Jesus changed my life at the camp, like he is doing for many of you already this week and will do. I knew as I was on the way home from the camp, back to my house in the car, that the biggest test would be when I was around the kind of James people in my life. They weren't holy people. They weren't the brother of Jesus. They were people at college who I wanted to be in with. I wanted them to like me. I wanted their approval. I wanted their respect so much that in years gone by, when I got so close to Jesus, I felt like I was coming right back to him in years gone by. I, at the last moment, stood away. Just like Peter, I pulled away. I went back to my old ways. Why? because I was scared of other people's disapproval. And one of the things Jesus has come to set you free from is the need of people's approval. So there are problems or threats for our freedom from culture. There are threats for our freedom from people. And then finally, there are threats for our freedom just from the past. 
I guess with Peter, maybe one of the weak things was that he was just a bit unsure of himself. Maybe his past had been a little bit unstable. We know from what the Bible says elsewhere that Peter was not always a stable person. He was very impulsive. He was very passionate. He loved making up his mind and then remaking it five minutes later. You know the story of how Jesus was walking on water on Lake Galilee with Jesus and then a few minutes later he's sinking in the water thinking he's going to drown, crying out for help. He could go from extraordinary confidence to terrible despair in one move. Some of you are just like Peter. I think sometimes I am. I think many of us are like Peter in that respect. We can just lose confidence in what we know. Maybe it's to do with our past, things in the background, things that we feel ashamed of, things we feel guilty about. They just rob us of our confidence in what God says. Jesus has come to set you free from the past. Jesus has come to set you free from things that would hamper your confidence in the gospel. You know, I guess, like Peter, we can be those who become a Christian, get freed from slavery, like the Israelites in the Old Testament, in one day. The slaves came out of Egypt in one day. But Egypt didn't really come out of the slaves for about 40 years. The freedom that they had already received, was they didn't stand in it, they didn't enjoy it. I think Paul was somehow different I think Paul was different in a really important way, and it comes through in verse 20. I think Paul thought about this all the time. You know, I'll I'll just say this before I finish with verse 20. Maybe you've done a crossword before. You've done maybe some of you love crosswords. You spend ages doing them. I'm not that good at them, but but there are times when you think you've nailed it. There's only about three words left. And you realize you've messed it up because nothing fits for this word. Nothing. I just can't make it fit. There's no way it's going to work. And so you realize, I think I've made some mistakes. I think I'm going to have to restart. I'm going to have to go back several words. I might have to go back to the very beginning and start this whole thing over. I'm not sure that Peter had completely done that with Jesus. I think Paul had. I think Paul understood that when Jesus came into his life, absolutely everything was changed. Everything. His understanding of who God's people are. His understanding of who God is. His understanding of who himself was. See, let me put it like this. Some of you, you would say to me, yeah, I, I would love to follow Jesus. I would love to be free from the fear of man. But you need to understand, I would rather die than cross that person. I would rather die than disappoint this person. I would rather die than be out with that group of friends. I would rather die than question that belief that I've grown up with, that certain things should be done this way and not that way, even if the Bible says otherwise, I couldn't question it, I'd rather die. Paul would say, I already died. He said it, do you remember in verse 20? I, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and the life I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul could say, I don't really have to worry about people's approval. I don't have to worry. I don't have to think, oh, I'd rather die than look. I already did. I died with Jesus. That's what happened when I, when I met him. I was taken into him. I was crucified with him. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried. I was crucified. I was buried. I was killed. Something died with Christ that day. The old person that I was, with all the old ideas, all the old theories of what God is like and what life is like and who am I and what my life should be about and what I should care about and who I should be in with, which people I should respect, what beliefs I should hold on to, what things would make me acceptable, what would make me liked more on social media, what would get me more clicks, more likes, more retweets. These are the things that are really important to me. Well, they used to be, but I died with Jesus. It's now longer, no longer I that live, Christ lives in me. The life I live now is by faith in Jesus. He, he loved me, he gave himself for me. Why would I want to live for anybody else? Peter hadn't thought these things through. Paul had allowed them to dig right deep underneath him. And what God's going to do for many of us in these coming mornings, and the musicians are going to come and help us now to, to do just this right now. God, God is going to help you this week by gradually, and it might not always feel gradual, it might be for some of you like moments of just bang, just get it. The penny just drops. And for others, it won't be, it'll be more like you're watching a plant grow gradually. It will be just something that you watch happening over a few days. But God wants to bring you into liberty. God wants to remind you of what he has already done. God wants to help you to be free from the threats to your freedom. It's going to mean putting on a brace sometimes. It's going to mean saying, no, I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to think differently. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to wake up to the Bible. I'm going to take my old ideas and put them under God's word. And as you do that, God will be setting you straight and setting you free to enjoy the genuine liberty that you as his child have been brought into.